Welcome to Just Ahead Podcast. My name is Adele Dujardin, teacher turned life and leadership coach with a passion for helping others live a life that is happily theirs. Through interviews with folks five to 10 years out of college, you will hear how they have carved out satisfying careers of all kinds. Here I speak with Hannah Ananoche to learn how she went from working for Venture for America to eventually becoming a Northwestern graduate student earning a degree in design innovation and her MBA. Enjoy. I want to just introduce you to everybody listening today. I'm here with Hannah Anoche, who is speaking to us from, are you in Chicago proper? Or are you in the area of North? I'm in Evanston, Illinois, which is about 20 minutes north of Chicago. All right. Well, welcome, welcome. And I can't wait to hear more about what you're up to. I do know that you're in Evanston because you are currently attending the Kellogg School of Business at Northwestern, and you're entering your second year. Yeah. Uh, so tell us um, why business school. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I think the answer is going to be a little long-winded. <laughs> <laughs> why business school? So I had kind of a unique journey to business school. Um, so as you mentioned, I go to Kellogg. And at Kellogg, I'm actually doing a dual degree program. So it's the traditional MBA, Master's in Business Administration, but I'm also getting a Master's of Science in Design Innovation at the same time. And so I think like around the time that I was contemplating going to school and and getting into applying, I was more so interested in the design side of things. I had recently kind of just been introduced to the the idea of design thinking and design research. And I was really interested and wanted to somehow incorporate that into my career, but I had no idea, you know, what careers uh, would incorporate that or how to, how to get there. So I felt like graduate school would be a great next step to build some some skills, build a network in the space, and then take that that step in that direction. And so when I was applying, I actually applied to just graduate schools, not specifically business schools. But this program at Kellogg was really unique in that like it married the business and the design in a way that I have really haven't seen anyone else do. And so it became kind of like my reach school. <laughs> so I got in and I'm, you know, really grateful because I think it stretched me in, in ways that I haven't, that I wouldn't have even expected. Um, and I am able to get both the business and the design, which I think will set me up in the future for just more opportunities. Yeah. And when you say they marry them well, it'd be great if you could explain a little bit what's behind that. And also the, the word design thinking. I'm familiar with it. You and I met in a, in a in design sprint group during covid and, uh, you know, but it's, it's, it's a word we hear a lot in the zeitgeist. And, yeah. and yet I think it's, it would help to define it at least. Yeah, for sure. So design thinking, it's a term, I don't know who actually coined it. I think there's many folks who were practicing it before there was truly a name. But I, I want to say it was coined by um, the founder of IDEO, could be wrong, but basically, so there's design, which we all know, and we think of design, we think of graphic designers, visual designers, but then design thinking kind of came, came up when, when we're thinking about like creative problem solving. So it's, a, it's an approach that incorporates kind of like really expansive thinking 
we say like we go broad to go narrow. So we start by thinking of these blue sky, really creative, really innovative ideas. And then we eventually go narrow given certain constraints. Um, and I think like what separates design thinking from any traditional like business problem solving is that creativity in that human centered aspect. So uh, design thinking for the most part, uh, whenever you incorporate design thinking into your process, you're grounding it on qualitative and ethnographic research. And that means if you're building a product or service, you're working with the um, end user like throughout that entire process. You're um, going into their homes and talking with them and really observing them in their, in their environment so that you can not only hear from their mouths what their um, pain points are, but also witness with your eyes and kind of like pick up on unmet needs. Yeah, I mean, to me, I'm thinking that in some ways it's, it's a return to really how we naturally go about problem solving. Mm -hmm. And maybe over the years in these business settings, we kind of reduced problem solving to some very scripted, qualitative mm -hmm. approach. And mm -hmm. when you started to talk about the design thinking, your, your hands went out when you said expansive. It's like, it's, yeah. like, it's very inclusive mm -hmm. and, and, and yet the human's at the center. Right. And, and the other thing you said is you think about the pain points in, in, in the problem solving process. So just quickly pain points. I know what you mean, but maybe not everybody else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for example, if I were on let's say like a design team um, and we were going to conduct some research around trying to understand how people manage their personal finances like at home or wherever they do it. So the way that we would go about this process is we would obviously recruit some people and then we would go to their homes, of course, with their permission. We would ask them some questions, but then we'd also ask them to show us like, how do you uh, manage your finances? And so say we went into a person's home and we see them, you know, like rifling through papers and like looking for receipts. And then like they're managing their, their finances like in a notebook, but then also like on their computer. And then they're running into all these issues. When we say pain points, we're thinking about like the end to end experience or process. And so for that person, it starts out with them rifling through their files to get their receipts and then ends with them inputting it into their document. But if they're running into sort of like friction points or points where like it's causing them actual frustration or they're like, oh man, I wish this integrated with that or, you know, things that are taking a little bit too much time or actually causing a, an emotional reaction, that's what you would call a pain point. All right. All right. Thanks for that explanation. And yeah. I'm wondering... What in you, and maybe therefore in others who are contemplating careers, was attracted to this? So, <laughs> you know, when you, when you talked, I think, you know, before you started recording, you were telling me about, like, the premise of this podcast. And I really appreciate, I appreciate this platform. And I think, like, young people need more things like this because definitely for me, like, when I was in college or, like, even before, I was kind of, like, I have these interests. I don't really know how that matches with an actual career though. So I've always been fascinated by human behavior, like why people do the things they do. 
So in undergrad, I was really interested in social psychology, um, also interested in neuroscience, and then also interested in anthropology and just really tried to like merge all those things together. And then it's like, great, like having a wonderful academic experience and learning so much, but how does this translate to the real world? Like, how do I make money doing this? (laughs) And so I was thinking, okay, like, you know, maybe I'll go and get my PhD in psychology. And, you know, that seems like a viable pathway. But after doing some research and all of that and, and actually having an experience in a lab, I realized like I kind of wanted to be a little bit more, more tactical, less academic and more putting it into practice, like going beyond what do they call that? The ivory tower and actually like being with people and implementing these research backed, you know, tools and methods like in the field or in the world. And so kind of decided like, okay, I'll put a pin in this psychology thought and I'll go and, and, and work in, startups and kind of just like see if I like working in not corporate America, but more of like the private sector. And if that's not panning out, I'll go back and get my PhD. So to kind of bring it back to your question, for me, it was really just that like desire to know why people do the, do the things that they do, just that love and interest in human behavior. But then I also have always been interested in storytelling. So in undergrad, I started a blog. I ran a blog for maybe like almost three years, Um, wrote articles, but also interviewed people (laughs) and kind of shared their stories as well. And I feel like the design thinking process, as I mentioned, it's rooted in that design research, which has everything to do with, you know, talking with people, sharing their stories. And so I felt like all those things put together really attracted me to this thing called design thinking, human-centered design. And I I think like for anyone who's potentially interested, the main thing you really need is like curiosity and like an open mind. Yeah, and it's funny you say curiosity because I was that that word came up for me right before you said it, not just even around the field of design thinking, but I feel like your own curiosity led you to this point. You knew what you liked. And that you realize actually your own pain point, which is, well, there, there's something a bit sterile about mm-hmm. academia for me. You, mm-hmm. you, were, you were hungry for more. You weren't sure what that more was, mm-hmm. but you wanted some type, uh, some type of greater participation in the world with this study of human nature. And right. so that, that curiosity of, well, what could that be led you to the private sector. So what was your job? Um, when you you started in the private sector? Yeah, so post-grad, I joined a fellowship called Venture for America. So it's a two-year fellowship, I guess somewhat loosely modeled off of Teach for America, but I think only so that for brand recognition, honestly. But basically, it's for recent graduates who are interested in entrepreneurship. And so what happens is you join the fellowship and They match you or they connect you with startups in cities where the startup ecosystem is growing or needs talent. So uh, we end up in cities like Baltimore, Detroit, St. Louis, Cincinnati. So I ended up in Miami and I was working for a cookie startup, actually. (laughs) They made organic and gluten-free cookies. 
And I was like the e-commerce manager or something like that. Basically, I managed everything digital. And I think the impetus for this was like I was saying, I was kind of like, okay, I'm going to explore this, you know, very ambiguous area where I could flex my creativity, you know, use what I've learned from running a blog for this many years and put that into practice. And again, like in the back of my head, I'm like, well, I can always go back to school like if I want to. But knowing that school was like a seven-year commitment, I was like, I should probably exhaust all my options <laughs> first. So yeah, I went and worked for a startup. Um, it was a really cool experience in terms of like learning fast, being adaptable, dealing with ambiguity. And I I think like, I think a lot more young people should take a, a bet on themselves and go and do the, the risky thing at least in the first like two, three years out of school, because you do get a little bit of leeway, you know? And I think like being in an environment that's fast paced, where you get a lot of responsibility, helps you grow professionally really quickly. And you're able to tell like so much richer stories once you do, you know, go for the, the, the role that you want, or maybe like the a grad school or something like that. What allowed you to be a risk taker? That's a good question. I think the fact that I had BFA allowed me to be a risk taker because if I didn't have the fellowship, the resources, you know, I basically had people to guide me through my career for the first two years, which was incredibly valuable. Yeah. So having that, that support, but then also having uh, the fellowship of the actual other fellows, knowing that, you know, they were going through similar things. So I do think like, you know, just running and joining a startup post-grad is definitely more risky than what I did. But yeah, I would definitely say like having that support of folks that were going through it with me as well. Yeah. So I hear you saying that it, it, it provided a structure and mm -hmm. then I'm also hearing someone could also create that structure through a mentor and through some kind of cohort where you, know, mm -hmm. you gather and share stories and um, support each other. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Not those, I think those are the two ingredients that made it a little bit easier for me to take that jump. Yeah. And also, too, I, a few times as you told the story, you mentioned, and I knew graduate school, I, you had that <laughs> option. So maybe... You know, it's, it's interesting. It's just that kind of mental thought of knowing there is, a, there is something else if this doesn't work out. And there always is mm -hmm. something else. You, you very right. concretely created that in your mind, but it, it seemed to allow you just to relax a little. You weren't signing on forever, but it, and, and there were options available. That's a great point. I think another thing that was a turning point for me was sort of in the middle of the fellowship, my sister gifted me this book called Designing Your Life by Dave Evans and Bill Burnett. And they are, I think, two Stanford professors and they, they teach at the D school, which is the design school. And it's funny, I don't even think I finished the book. I think I went halfway through, but it still changed my life. It completely changed my life in terms of, it really, it helps you apply the principles of design thinking to your life and in a way that's very like tactical and actionable and not like, you know, like fluffy. <laughs> Basically it kind of helped me feel a little less anxiety about like each choice that I was making. They essentially 
framed it as there are so many different paths you can take in life, but it doesn't mean that if you choose path A, path B, C, D, and E are not available to you, you can, you know, join that later. And it also expressed this really great idea to me, which is the concept of like testing. So like in the design thinking process or methodology, one of the, the biggest things is like rapid experimentation, like, you know, rapid prototyping. So like building something with the, the smallest amount of materials that you can and then testing it out in market. And so if, a, if you're applying that to your life, that basically means, you know, like kind of like what I did, like trying the startup life for two years and seeing if that works. And if it doesn't, then you can pivot. Just giving yourself the breathing room and the leeway to make decisions and then change your mind, you know, once you've really tested it out for some time, really helped me feel a lot less pressure about my choices. Yeah, it feels more carefree and and natural. And also this invitation to let things happen and not force them. Right, exactly. And so after the two years at the startup, what do you do after cookie? (laughs) So my journey was a lot less straightforward than I wish it was. So I, although I took this risk to join Venture for America, I'm a pretty risk averse person. I I think I I say that internally, but when I think about my life, like maybe I'm not. (laughs) But so I joined Venture for America fully expecting to stay at this one startup for the full two years. But I ended up actually working at three different companies during this fellowship just because startups, you know, are pretty volatile and, you know, the the stat, like 99% of startups fail. So the first startup that I went to work for actually ended up going under. They had to lay off everyone. And so that was a, you know, pretty scary experience for a recent grad who was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. But I made it through and I think I had really interesting and cool experiences because of that, you know, wrench thrown into my plan. I had to like grow and develop pretty, pretty quickly. So I went on to be a brand manager at a portfolio company within like a, a, a private investment firm. And so helped them launch a skincare brand online. And then after that, I wanted to work on that, that team is maybe like 20 or 17 people or so. But then to sort of finish off my Venture for America experience, I really wanted to work on a smaller team and have a little bit more onus. So I went and joined a small crowdfunding agency that worked with founders to launch their products on crowdfunding sites like Kickstarter. So I was employee number three, which was just interesting. (laughs) But, but, you know, a really great experience because I helped them grow the the business, of course, and then also sort of institutionalize the culture. I really helped them build a culture and attract new talent. Just pause there and, and tell us a, a pinch about your work, but also what, what you particularly look for in a work culture and what people maybe need to pay attention to as they go to interview. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So I have so many thoughts on this. <laughs> <laughs> a whole separate podcast episode. Right. right honestly. Yeah. I can give like the the spark notes version though. Basically I think it's especially in smaller companies, startups or just smaller companies, culture is extremely important. And so when you are interviewing, make sure to ask everyone that you talk that you speak with 
to to express what the culture is and don't just ask like a yes or no question like ask a detailed question because what i have found is if the answers are inconsistent or generic or you know they have trouble answering the question i think chances are like there's not much attention being paid to the culture and in a small org where it's you know less than 10 people or less than 20 people that matters because in startups you know you're work they're working you to the, to the core you know they're working you very hard so you want to make sure there's an upside as well and you don't just get burned out. Yeah, well said, well said. And I had forgotten to ask you where you'd gone to college. I just think that's always nice for people. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I really I didn't mention that. I went to Brown. Okay. Tell us a little bit, you know, you, so you, you, were, you had these different roles or, and, and were in different groups, organizations with Venture for, Venture for America. Mm-hmm. And then after that ended, where did you go? Yeah, so Venture for America ended, and I think I, I stayed on with the crowdfunding organization or agency for a little bit, but I think towards the end of Venture for America was when I was considering my next steps in terms of school. That's when I, you know, read the book and was, like, starting to get interested in potentially pursuing design research, but again... I felt like the only, when I looked at job boards, I noticed that, you know, they were mostly asking for grad school experience or they were asking for like, you know, three to five years of experience. So I felt like there was no way to really get my foot in the door. And so I stayed at the the agency and started applying to programs. But then I also started talking about it more with people in my, my network you know, expressing, oh, I'm really interested in design research, you know, and then found folks that were also interested in it. So we would kind of like geek out (laughs) and sign up for these like free um, courses online and practice our like ethnography skills and our interviewing. And at the time, our agency was based out of a co-working space. And so that was a really great place to sort of meet people working on different things. And because I've been talking about it more, a friend of mine actually had a contact that had a design research agency in Miami, and she connected me with him. And I was kind of just really surprised. I didn't think that's something I would find in Miami. And basically, long story short, I started by kind of working with him on the side and just kind of shadowing and getting exposure to what that looks like. And then he kind of had an opportunity with one of his clients to bring someone in in-house, like on the client side for like a six month project and kind of just like raise my hand like, yes, I would love to do that. Please uh, think of me. And it worked out. I ended up working at United Way, which is a nonprofit, and I became their like in-house design researcher for six months, which was the perfect amount of time right before my business school program started. And so it was a great way to like, you know, actually become a design researcher before even going to school and get that experience so that it would, you know, then inform even what I do when I get to school. Yeah. I mean, that's a great story because I hear uh, that you'd found some nuggets of what you were excited to do you weren't immediately doing it at the workplace, but you started to self-educate by some classes online, putting, meeting mm-hmm. up like-minded people, creating that community. 
And so just this energy began. So by you sharing it, mm-hmm. people then knew, and, and that then connected you down the road to this organization, Miami, where then you got the six month stint at United Way. So yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's that idea of take, the, take those steps, not sure exactly where they're going to go, but put, put things in motion and things start to take hold. Your, your vision gets clearer. People start to become connected to you. You reach out, you get a little bolder. You're like, I'll do it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah that's a great, great story. Great story. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering too, so, you know, you're at business school, you're enjoying it. You have a year left. Two questions. One is what, what do you hope for yourself upon graduating? And the other that I'm thinking of is any thoughts to your, your younger self, your college self, your first year out self. <laughs> okay. So advice for my younger self, I would say just, I think, I really think that exploring design thinking methodology has changed the way I look at things in terms of, I would really just advise myself to be more expansive and, and flexible, you know, like I think we can try to chart out our lives and, and make plans, but the way life works, life just does not work that way. And so I would say like, continue to stick to your guns and follow what truly interests you and challenges you. I think that's the other key there is also make sure you're putting yourself into positions that challenge you that you're not fully comfortable with, because that's where you grow. And I think, I think I've been able to make certain career moves or even get into business school because uh, so early, because I'm one of the, the younger people in my class, because I made an effort to, to put myself in challenging positions that would force me to grow early on in my career. Yeah, and in that word grow, I'm thinking there's growing allows us a window in because you said what you said what you're interested in. Sometimes people don't know exactly what they're interested in. They have an inkling. Mm-hmm. But in, in that challenging things start to appear. And 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 what I hear you saying too is sometime in the dis, discomfort can can moves us to the right place. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And it's, it's hard because it's like, you don't know what you don't know. Like I didn't know what a design researcher was. I didn't know. I didn't know so many things, (laughs) even though I went to this great school, you know, and it just makes me think like there's so many other people out there who have no idea all of the different cool careers they could have. And so that's something I'm personally very passionate about in terms of, of what comes next. I definitely had an idea going into business school. I was, I wanted to continue to pursue social impact design. And so my, my goal was like to go work for like an IDEO.org, which is IDEO's NGO that focuses on solving problems more on a, uh, a global scale, solving like social impact oriented problems on a global scale using design thinking methodologies. And I think like that's kind of my more long-term goal now. Right now I'm, I'm being again, pretty flexible with myself, Um, really just following what interests me and what will challenge me. So I definitely want to, in the short term, end up in 
a company that values design and that also is mission oriented. But I think I'm trying to be flexible because Mm -hmm. I think there's so many organizations that I don't know about yet. And so we'll see what happens. Yeah. So going back to that curiosity, just going at it with a curious mind to kind of scratch and see what's underneath the possibilities that you start to encounter. And exactly. one, one other question, and then I want to ask you about your own podcast. Any advice on uncovering what interests somebody? Well, I think um, I'm pretty big on reflection. I think it's really important to, on a fairly consistent basis, kind of like sit down with yourself and do a life audit. And part of that book, Designing Your Life, is an audit where you kind of you kind of create a meter when it comes to like life, work, play, something like or health, work and play. And so doing an, an exercise like that or even creating your own, I think is a great way to figure out like what excites you, what gives you joy, and then you can kind of probe further. So one thing I try to do on a weekly basis is I have an Excel sheet <laughs> with questions ranging from like what was the highlight of my week? What did I learn about myself? What do I want to work on? What was my energy level? And then what's my intention for the next week? So creating something like that for yourself, I think is a good way to see patterns in, you know, what sparks joy in your life and then what you might be interested in. Another thing I did on, you know, kind of when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do or how to get to where I wanted to be is... I did heavy LinkedIn stalking. <laughs> so <laughs> if I listened to a podcast or read an article or just heard of a person who I thought had a really cool career, I would go on their LinkedIn and then I literally printed it out and then like annotated it. Like, okay, this is what they did and here's the journey and blah, blah, blah. And then would find folks that were similar to them and then look for patterns to see like, if they had similar interests or similar like grad schools, et cetera, that might be too much for, for the average Joe. <laughs> Fascinating. And did you contact the people or this was just for your information? It was just for my information, kind of my internal like book of mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. role models, but I also did contact people. So folks that I guess would be similar, like an interesting jobs that I had some sort of connection with. Maybe it's like, my undergrad or high school, or we had a connection, mutual connection on LinkedIn. I did a lot of that as well. I think like if you have access to an alumni base, like alumni love talking to young people, like we just do. So definitely use that to your uh, advantage. Yeah. And before we end, um, just tell us about your podcast because you're up to cool stuff there. And I feel like <laughs> that goes in part in terms of what you're interested in professionally, but also seems like a bit of a play space for you. Yeah. So as I mentioned, I've always loved storytelling. So in undergrad, I had the blog and then I tried YouTube for a little and I was just like, eh, not for me. <laughs> I like to share other people's stories, not necessarily always harp on my own. So my podcast is called Ox, as in A-W-K-S, so like awkward, and it's, it's, it's similar, I think similar audience to this podcast in terms of we're really trying to talk to the recent college grad or even someone who's still in college and thinking about, okay, what comes next? 
because we co-host and I, um, my co-host is actually my best friend from undergrad. And we kind of just like, you know, thrust into the real world and realize like there's so much that is completely not new once you leave college um, that we wanted to address and have like a candid conversation with our listeners. So that's the premise of Ox. And it's, it's definitely a source of joy for me, especially when, you know, we get new listeners who give us positive feedback. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, Hannah, thank you so much. I could chat the day away with you. You, you, (laughs) Your life is interesting in and of itself. And then the insight you bring also makes it even more so. And, and thank you. It's, it's really valuable for people to hear your story. Thank you. This is really awesome. Yeah. I really appreciate this platform and I'm definitely going to listen to the, the PAX episodes. Thanks for listening to Just Ahead. Be sure to rate and subscribe our podcast so you never miss an episode. If you'd like to learn more about me, visit my website at www.agoodlife.coach or follow me on Instagram at agoodlife.coach. Join us again next week to hear more folks share the practical and inspirational around their working lives post-college.